Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. to start this morning by saying that God is doing extraordinary things here and beyond here. Uh, and some of you, some of you are kind of like, yep, you don't need to say anything else. I see it. I'm a part of it. It's obvious. And others are kind of like, I'd like to, I'd like to hear more. <laughs> And that's okay, and you will. Um, we're going to kind of circle back to that at the end. But, but um, I was thinking this week, one of the things that God really placed on my mind and my heart was the difference between being informed and obedient. Um, and one of the things that I thought about was, um, you know, that, that mental image of that guy who life has, looks like has been hard for him, and he lives down in, like, the Florida Keys, and... He is typically wearing uh, a dirty white tank top. And for some reason, he is the stereotypical guy that news organizations go to to interview when hurricanes are coming. And, and he, you know, he's the guy who's like, is being informed that there is the, the greatest hurricane in like 900 years coming, aiming for the Florida Keys. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to wait it out. And uh, you're kind of like, okay, well, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe that would be a good removal from the gene pool. But um, I mean, that is so unkind. And thank you for calling me out. I apologize. <laughs> that was wrong. But sometimes wrong things are true. Dang it. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move on. And, but, but like the, the guy who's, who's informed but his behavior doesn't seem to follow as far as actions that that information would lend itself to. You know what I mean? Like, if you know that's coming, if you're informed, like, you're going to do something about it. Or, or like, you know, the, the person who maybe lives up in the, like, Stanislaw National Forest and, and there's, you know, huge wildfire coming and, you know, it's, it's you know, like, 0.3% contained, and he says, no, you know, I've got a hose, should be fine, I've got a pool, I can jump in that if it gets hot, and you're kind of like, well, I don't know that that's going to work for you uh, in that, and so it's like you're informed, but your behavior doesn't seem to reflect the information that you have, and I think so often with Scripture, with God's Word, we are informed but oftentimes our behavior doesn't reflect the information that we've received from Scripture. Does that make sense? Like so often we are informed, we are knowledgeable, we know what God says in his word, but our behavior doesn't seem like it reflects how a person would be acting or living had they known that information. And so I think there's this thing where, yeah, we need to be informed, but, but we also need to obey what we have been informed of. We need to know, we need to understand, and, and we need to follow through and obey. And, and, and so this morning, as we get into the passage, um, I want to start by reading 
the passage in Acts, starting in chapter 12, verse 25. And then I want to walk back through it and just give some cultural, historical understandings that we may not all be familiar with because we don't live in the first century in Antioch and we don't know these people well. And so I want to look at that. And then I want to really zoom in on something that I think is really, 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 really significant this morning. And it has to do with our spiritual rhythms. And so uh, Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished, at the teaching of the Lord. And so <clears throat> we have Barnabas and Paul, it says they were returning back to Antioch from after completing their service in Jerusalem. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we found out about the church in Antioch and how it was growing and what God was doing and bringing this this ethnically diverse Gentile church in Antioch and how Barnabas went and Saul went and they joined them for a while and, and they were able to see what God was doing and how God had done this movement through persecution and brought these Gentiles in and there's this huge church and how, 
how Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas was sent to see if it was legit. And so, and so at the end of it, this prophet Agabus comes down from Jerusalem and he says to the believers in Antioch that he's been given a kind of a, a vision. God has revealed to him that there's going to be a famine and that they need to prepare. And so the church in Antioch takes up a collection sacrificially and they send Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem to take financial uh, relief to, the, to Jerusalem and to Judea. And so Barnabas and Saul have taken that back to Jerusalem and Judea, and now he's on, they're on their way back after delivering that news. And so they go back to Jerusalem and say, yeah, this is a legit movement of God. The Gentiles have a church following Jesus in Antioch. And if you want proof of that, here you go. They took a collection for you people who they're not ethnically connected with, ideologically different, and they don't even know you. They've not met you, but they think that you're family because of Jesus Christ, and they sacrificially gave, and here's, here's the result of that. So if you don't believe just my word, believe their actions and what they're doing. And so Barnabas and Saul are now heading back to Antioch, and they arrive back in Antioch after that mission of, of the generosity of that church in Antioch. And, and so it says, and in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then it gives five of the specific leaders in the church in Antioch. Now, what's of note and interesting about this is, is this. It doesn't give you some kind of hierarchical structure of how the church in Antioch was functioning. They were functioning not by titles, but by giftings and by function. That there were prophets and teachers who were leading the church in Antioch. And, 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 and here's, here's what's interesting. So it, it already said earlier that this prophet Agabus came down from Jerusalem and said that he foretold something about this famine. And it's interesting because when we think of prophecy and the gift of prophecy, oftentimes we think of this idea of telling the future. That is a very small percentage of what the prophetic gift is. Prophecy is proclamation leading to action on God's behalf. And so sometimes, yes, that includes God revealing something that a prophet may share. However, primarily within the church, prophets are those who proclaim Jesus and his gospel and his work and where he's working and proclaim people to join that work of God. And so there was these prophets in the church in Antioch who were leading. And then it says, and then there was teachers and typically teachers are those who explain. Prophets proclaim, teachers explain. And so it was these prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch that were working together to move the mission of Jesus forward. Now, it's interesting. They, they, there's the, the, we get named by Luke five different individuals who are there in Antioch who are the, kind of the, the prophet, teacher, leaders of, of the church in Antioch. And it's interesting, grammatically... And I don't know it because the text doesn't say this, but grammatically in Greek, the structure, it, it reads in a way that the first three names are prophets and the last two names are teachers. I don't know if that's significant or not, but, but that's just kind of how the Greek grammar reads in, in this passage here. But, but one of the things we need to recognize is who these leaders were. Barnabas is the first one that, that's mentioned. Barnabas was from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which is a, the, one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean Sea. 
He was by birth and history, he was a priest. He was of a priestly line and he was a priest. We learned that in other scripture. And he had a deep connection to the church in Jerusalem. So Barnabas is a Jewish priest who follows Jesus and is not in the temple. And this is Simeon, who's called Niger, is from all accounts from North Africa. And the way he's described, he's described as a person of color with very dark skin, a very black man from North Africa, which that all kind of makes sense as you look at where he's from and how he's described. And then you have Lucius of Cyrene, who is also from North Africa, that would suggest pretty strongly that he is also a person of darker skin color. Those three, Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius were all, at least grammatically, they seem to be connected to the prophets in that group. And then you have Menaean, who I think is by far the most interesting of the whole group. Like, if you're playing the, like, old Sesame Street game of one of these things does not belong, like, that's, I feel like Menaean is the one who does not belong. And, and, and because it says in the text that he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, He's a guy who was, he was part of the elite, he was one of the elites in the Roman culture. He grew up in high society, he grew up with great wealth, and he grew up with great privilege, and he was lifelong friends with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, there's a lot of Herods, and it's difficult to keep our Herods straight in the New Testament. Um, And so it actually took me a minute to figure out which Herod this was, because Kyle talked about a Herod last week who killed James. Um, And then you have a Herod who also went after Jesus, and you have a Herod who, uh, I mean, the Herod who killed all the babies, and then you have like a Herod who killed John the Baptist. And and, and, and so which, which Herod is it? So Herod the Tetrarch, who is being described here, who's lifelong friends with Menaean, is actually Herod Antipas, who's the Herod who killed John the Baptist when he was drunk and made a deal with a woman who he thought was hot. And so, and so that's the Herod we're talking about that Menaean is lifelong, who grew up with and was friends with. Um, Herod Agrippa, who Kyle talked about last week, who killed James, is Herod Antipas's nephew. And Herod the Great, who killed the babies, is Herod Agrippa, who killed James' grandfather, and Herod Antipas' father. Everybody clear? Yes. There's going to be like a reality show called Life of Herod, and so it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, super dysfunctional family. Uh, they all like to kill people who love Jesus. So um, just a recommendation, anyone who's pregnant, I would suggest you eliminate the name Herod if it's a boy. Um, my preference, maybe not yours, but anyway. Um, so you've got Menaean, who's, who's, who's a teacher in the church, and then it says Saul, who is a Pharisaical Jew. He was a Pharisee, and he was Jewish. Think about the, the leadership in Antioch of that church. You've got a priest who's abandoned the temple, You've got two black men from North Africa. You've got a social 
and political elitist, and you've got Saul, who is a kind of disassociated Pharisee. Ethnically and ideologically, this is a ridiculous group of people together. Would you agree? Like very different group of people who have really nothing in common except for Jesus Christ. And I, and I think it's of note to see that in the first Gentile church recorded in the New Testament, you have an ethnically and ideologically diverse group of people who should not be together except for the fact that they all serve and love and have surrendered to King Jesus. That's the first church that Gentiles were in that we know of that scripture is revealed. Like that's awesome and a little bit frustrating <laughs> when we look at the, the, the climate and the environment of the church today. You see, the power of Christ does not diminish ethnicity or favor ideology. It does, however, demand ethnicity and ideology to humble itself and call Jesus king alone. And, 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 so, and so then we, we get to verse two and three, which I'm gonna come back to because that's what I wanna zoom in on because that's, that's what I think God really wants to highlight this morning. But then, then in verse four, we, we move on to um, Barnabas and Saul go out and they go to the, the island of Cyprus where, where Barnabas is from and they take the gospel there. They go into the, the, the synagogue and they begin preaching the gospel, which again, we think, well, the synagogue and, you know, both Barnabas and Saul are Jewish. They're going to the synagogue and they're preaching the gospel. How did they get to preach in synagogues? Well, uh, Paul was a known rabbi. Saul was uh, known as a rabbi and rabbis had the privilege to guest speak if they ended up in a synagogue. And, and Barnabas was priestly line. And so he would have opportunity. But here's the thing. That's not like giving a sermon in a church where people come to hear a sermon. It's like going into a mosque and preaching Jesus and the gospel. Preaching what they were preaching in the synagogue was not preaching what they wanted to hear or what they were interested in hearing. That was like going into a mosque and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they go into synagogues, they start preaching, and, and they go throughout the island of Cyprus, and they get to the, to the, to the place where, where they, they, they run into basically the proconsul of the island, who is the Roman official, who is the authority and ruler of the island on behalf of the Roman Empire. So there's this Roman official, the proconsul, that they, that they end up getting called to. And they've met this guy named Bar-Jesus. And, and he is this magician, and he's the counselor, uh, guide to the proconsul of the island. So he's this Jewish false prophet, as described in Scripture. His name is Elymas, which means magician. But he's known as Bar-Jesus, and so they interact with him and the proconsul. And Bar-Jesus, this guy, he doesn't like what Barnabas and Saul are talking about. And so he's giving word to the proconsul, this guy, uh, Sergius Paulus, saying, don't listen to them. They're, they're, they're not worthy of being listened to, and so don't listen, because he did not want them to listen to the word of Jesus. And, and so what happens is, is it says Paul or Saul being filled with the Spirit. 
This is Saul, also known as Paul, being filled with the Spirit. And this is the thing that we've got to recognize throughout Scripture. When you follow Jesus, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't leave you. But you are not always filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we can be filled with a lot of things. Primarily, we are filled with ourselves. And that is a constant struggle. And Scripture often makes note to say, and this person began speaking, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think Scripture makes that identification to recognize that Saul was not always full of the Holy Spirit. But right here, as he responds to Bar-Jesus, he is full of the Holy Spirit. There is no Saul coming out here. This is all fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we can live like that, but it's hard. Because a lot of times there is a decent amount of mat filled up here. So, so it says, Saul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, actually says to this guy, Bar-Jesus, he says, you son of the devil, which is kind of interesting play on words because Bar-Jesus actually means son of Jesus. And then Saul calls him son of the devil, which probably was fairly insulting to his handle that he had. <laughs> but, but he says basically that you're supposed to give wise counsel and you're giving false counsel. You're making straight paths crooked. The opposite of what prophets do is make crooked paths straight. And he says, so what's going to happen? You're supposed to see for other people. You're not going to see for even yourself. You're going to be blinded. And, 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 and that, this is what's going to happen. So immediately it says that the mist and darkness came over this guy and he couldn't see. And so it flipped it so that rather than him guiding those around him, guiding the proconsul, it says that he was looking for someone to guide him by the hand. Like he couldn't go anywhere without having his hand held because he could not see anything. So the guy who was giving counsel and guidance to the proconsul now could not even guide himself. And it says that that proconsul, who was the root, Roman ruler of the island of Cyprus expressed faith in Jesus because he was astonished. But what is it? Why did he express faith in Jesus? It says, because of the teachings of the Lord. He expressed faith in Jesus, not necessarily because he saw this extraordinary miracle happen, which I'm sure that had an impact, but he expressed faith in Jesus because of the teachings of the Lord, the teachings of Jesus. One of the things that I think is interesting is if you go to the island of Cyprus today, half of the island is basically a, a, a pagan culture that belongs to, to Greece. The other half of the island is occupied by Turkey, and it is Muslim and Islamic. How is it that in the New Testament, Barnabas and Saul went to the island of Cyprus, and the ruler, Roman ruler of the island, became a Christian, and today the island is half pagan and half Muslim. I think that's a wake-up call to remind us, as those who follow Jesus, that we cannot fall asleep, we cannot stop, we cannot give up, we cannot just say, oh, I, we took the gospel here and that's good enough. We have to be making disciples who make disciples to the, to the nth generation. Because an island that had the light and the hope of Jesus Christ is dark today. And, and so I think that's just kind of a, 
a wake-up call for us. So going back to verses 2 and 3, I want you to catch, we talk about spiritual rhythms as a deep and abiding value here at Crosspoint. I want you to see the spiritual rhythm that, that is evident in verses 2 and 3. So talking about the leadership of the church in Antioch and I believe the, the people who were serving there, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Okay, just, just to identify, worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The, the, the word translated worship in, in the text this morning actually comes from a Greek word that is literally translated liturgy. But I don't know that that reads well in, in our Bibles. Like, while they were liturgizing and fasting, that just, I mean, we don't even know what that looks like. But basically, the, the word that, that you see as worship, worship here is not just they were like sitting in a room singing. Worship there is the idea of liturgy, not that they were like reading responsive readings, but liturgy, the idea of that they were doing the work and the service of the priests. In other words, they were doing their priestly service of the priesthood of believers. So they were out, they were, they were, they were bringing people toward Jesus who are far from Jesus, and they were encouraging those who are close to Jesus to continue to pursue intimacy and obedience with Jesus. And so that thing, while they were worshiping, they weren't sitting in a room. They were out serving and ministering and doing the liturgical work of the priest in advocating people toward Jesus. So as they were worshiping and fasting, that's what they were doing. These are spiritual practices. These are spiritual rhythms as part of their lives. As they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So as they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me, for the work to which I have called them. Now, the text isn't specific on this, but I think because of other texts, we have some clarity. Very infrequently do, does the audible verbal voice of the Spirit come on the scene. It did at Jesus' baptism. The voice of God showed up. The Spirit descended like a dove. But here it says, the Spirit said to them, thinking about the context, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of prophets and teachers who are leading in the, in the room. And my guess is what happened is that the Spirit moved in one of these people, just like when, when you or I say something like, I know God's calling me to do this. I know God is sending me here. I know God is, I know that if I don't do this today, I know that I'm disobedient. That's, the word of the Spirit coming in your life. And so here it says the word of the Spirit. And I wonder if maybe, maybe it was like, maybe, uh, maybe Lucius said, I, I, think, I think God's calling Barnabas and Saul to go and be sent somewhere because his hand is on them. And he, what, is, what do you guys think about that? And I, think, and, and I think probably Barnabas and Saul were like, yeah, we feel that call on our lives pretty, pretty heavy. And so within that context, the Spirit spoke through the community of believers who were worshiping and fasting. They were in a posture where they could receive what God was doing. And so the Spirit says very clearly, this is what I want. And 
I think so often what we would do with that is we would like go, great, let's go. But it's interesting that they didn't. That wasn't their spiritual rhythm. What it says is that the, the Spirit said this, then after fasting and praying more, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. I think that is really, really significant and important for us to recognize because it is really easy for us to like pray about something, hear what we believe is God's voice, and it might be, and we just go for it in our own power and strength. But these believers in the church in Antioch heard the Spirit clearly, and they said, before we go anywhere, we are going to bathe this in more prayer and fasting. I have a friend who calls that the, world, the word of God being sealed in the power of God. That when we receive the word of God, we don't just go off in our own power, but we receive the word of God and we need to be sealed in, in the power of God. And that power of God, that sealing is going to be through coming back to God in humility and surrender and coming back to him, even after we've heard his word, before we go execute, that we come back to him in prayer and fasting and spiritual rhythms and disciplines and we come back to him and then we move out in the power of his spirit. And it's interesting because the next verse says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Cyprus. Notice that this, this was the first missionary journey of Paul. Um, in the New Testament, we have, we have, you know, we have this history and we, we I don't know if, if, you've grown, if you grew up in the church or particular churches, you know all about the missionary journeys of Paul. This is the first missionary journey. And this journey did not come out of a group of people, CEOs and, and entrepreneurs saying, hey, how are, we gonna, how are we gonna reach the world with the gospel? This came out of a group of people who were worshiping and fasting, heard the voice of the Spirit, they prayed and fasted some more, and they obeyed. It wasn't some powerful round table with the smartest people in the room. It was a group of people worshiping and fasting, hearing the Spirit, praying and fasting some more, and going. And it says the Spirit sent them. They didn't get sent by a board or anything else. They got sent by the Spirit. And, and, and so, so, so it's so interesting to me that that was their, that seems to be their spiritual rhythm. That that spiritual rhythm was seeking Jesus, hearing Jesus, seeking Jesus some more, even after hearing Jesus, not to, not to disobey, not to um, wait to obey, but to present themselves at the feet of Jesus, at the power of Jesus, so that when they go out, they will be taking the word of God with them, sealed with the power of God, so that only God can do the work that he's called you to do. And then they go out faithfully. You see, wherever men and women give themselves to the disciplines that attune the body to its hunger for the spirit, they will find themselves receptive to the voice of God and they will hear the Spirit speaking and offering guidance. And that's what they were doing. Leadership in the kingdom of God is far less strategy and far more surrender than we can even wrap our heads around. 
And, and so, and so we see what happens. They went out, the word of God, sealed with the power of God, went out, and what happened? The largest island in the Mediterranean Sea, the proconsul, the Roman official, the leader, the, the boss, gave his life to Christ. That's what happens when the word of God is sealed with the power of God. And, 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 so, and so I think for us, the, the, the question is this, what is the context of how I pursue God's will in my life? Do I shoot up a prayer or do I, you know, spend a little time? Do I read, read some verses and then I feel like I know what God wants me to do and I go do it? Or do I really come to God and worship and even fasting and hear God's direction for my life, hear his assignment that he wants me to be doing, and then I go back into prayer and fasting and let that take root and abide in that moment and then go out in obedience and faithfulness. I think that might be the wisest way to walk through our lives. I mentioned at the beginning that God's doing a lot of things. And I know some of you are like, yep, I know. Some of you are like, give me some examples. So we know that there's a decent-sized local refugee community here in Modesto. And over the last year and a half, couple years, there's been a group of students and adults who have been serving a number of refugees in, in our community. Within the last couple months, some of these families have asked if they can be told stories about Jesus. These are families from the Middle East, from Afghanistan, from Syria, from, from different places like that. And they are Muslim families. They don't want to lose their culture. And their religion is deeply intertwined into their culture. But some of them are starting to ask if they can hear Jesus stories, stories about Esau. A single mom with three children plus another adult woman living with them. They want to get together with a couple people in our church and read Jesus stories. A Kurdish family of a dad, a mom, and three children are becoming more and more open and having spiritual conversations that are focused on Jesus. A Syrian family of a dad, mom, and five children are learning about Jesus. That seems impossible. That's unreal. So a friend of mine who's in an undisclosed location sharing with him about what's happening and, and asking him for his advice because he does this actually in those cultures. And, and he said that, um, we had talked to him a while ago, but he made this comment, and, I th and it resonates and I agree with him. He said that he believes that what's happening within that group of people is the fruit of 
the Daniel fast that a small group of us here in the church did at the beginning of the year. He believes that that Daniel fast that we did, this is the fruit of what we did. In basically coming to God and allowing ourselves to hunger, to say, God, bring hungry people to us who we can present the story of Jesus to. And he's the guy who, who said, and as you do this, and I just am amazed at how much, he didn't reference Acts 13, but how much this syncs up with Acts 13. He said, as you go to do these stories with those people, he said, pray and fast before and pray during and pray and fast after. He said, because you want the word of God to be sealed in the power of God. And what he said exactly reflects what we see the believers in Antioch doing as they follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. We have students and adults leaving in a couple weeks to go see the vision of what God is doing both here and in places beyond our borders. And to join with and, and to, to, to encourage those who are making disciples in those areas. This past week, I was with a group of people who are processing that spirit call on their life that the spirit has said, set aside for me, these people. And this last week, we got to spend time praying and worshiping. And we process what that looks like. Last service, at the end of the service, as I was sharing these things, um, Lanny in our church, a woman in our church, she said, July 13th, I'm going to uh, a Muslim-majority country, and I'm coming alongside Muslim women and befriending them. And, and, and I was like, that's, that's awesome. She was kind of blown away because of what God kind of has stirred me to do. And, 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 and the thing is, I, I, believe that, I believe that God is working and we need to join with God. And so um, I want to invite the church family into um, what I'm calling uh, 7-Eleven Daniel Fast. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you get to eat whatever is at 7-Eleven, okay? That's not what this is. Um, but the 7-Eleven Daniel Fast, um, somebody ask me right now, just ask me, hey, when is this 7-Eleven Daniel Fast? July 7th through 11th. See how that works? Like, I'm super creative and smart that way. Um, so July 7th through 11th, we, it's a five-day Daniel Fast. We want, I want to invite, we want to invite the church family into doing that. I don't have, and we'll be sending details out and communicating. Um, but if you're kind of like, I don't even want to know what a Daniel fast is, just look it up on the internet. And there's lots of different ways to do it. But, but, but we'll be sending out information if you want to participate in that. And here's the thing. We want to, from the 7th through the 11th, we want to invite the church family into this Daniel fast because there's a lot of things coming on the other side of that. We want to see God. We want to express our hunger for God's moving. And we want to ask God to bring those who are hungry into our midst so that we can help them have a relationship with Jesus. And so we want to fast on behalf of, 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 of those people, of the families that, that are 
being told stories about Jesus. And we want to participate like the church in Antioch did. And so, so as you kind of pray and, and seek God and think about this, um, God is bringing a hunger to people who are far from him for him. We participate in hungering for Jesus to be known both here and away. When God moves, we continue to pray and fast and seek him and acknowledge that without him, none of this would be possible, just like in Antioch. And so I want to invite the church into this. We want the word of God to be sealed with the power of God because it's only through his power that anything will change. And, and so I want to invite the, the worship team to come back up and, and we'll, we'll continue to worship. But, but what I want to ask is this. As, as we worship and then we'll do communion and wrap up, but in, in, during this next time, maybe you're in this place where you realize you need to have a spiritual rhythm like the believers in the church in Antioch. Maybe you know the word of God. Maybe you're informed, but you walk out to obey without living in the power of God. Maybe, maybe you need to just spend some time by yourself and just be praying and seeking God, maybe even repenting and asking God to, to change how you function. Maybe you need to get up and walk down and maybe come up forward and pray. Um, there's nothing magical about coming forward, but sometimes when our bodies engage our internal choices, it makes it more real. Maybe you need to come forward and say, Jesus, I need to change the way I follow you. Maybe this morning you're just in a place where you know that you've heard the voice of the Spirit and your next move is not to do something, but your next move is to pray and fast. We have reason to be so grateful because of how Jesus is working and how he is loving us and being patient with us. So let's take the next few minutes and worship together and do whatever it is that the Spirit's calling you to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.